Welcome to the Secret Lives of Chiropractors, where we get personal with chiropractic leaders, mentors, and influential entrepreneurs. And when I say personal, I mean really personal. So personal that the things that they will open up about, they haven't shared anywhere else. As a matter of fact, today I had Dr. Mo on the show. You probably know who she is, and this episode could easily be one of my favorite conversations. Dr. Mo is just super cool and she's got so much wisdom. She was super open and shared some really painful things that she's gone through even as a baby and in her childhood. Be prepared to get a little teary-eyed and have your jaw wide open as she described um, the, the thing that she went through that I would describe as a horrifying childhood trauma. Listen uh, all the way to the end because she shares her secret formula slash ritual. You are going to love it. It's super easy to, and practical to incorporate into your routine. And one of the things that really stood out in this conversation with Dr. Mo was what she said about regret. She said, things that we regret the most in life are not the things that we have done, but they are the things that we actually have not done. And this really hit home for me because on the daily, I talk to chiropractors and entrepreneurs with really, really big visions and dreams and whether it's creating a part-time million dollar practice or a big life uh, filled with contribution or whatever it is, it might be in between those two things. And too many times we get stuck in our head and really get in uh, on our own way. I remember when I first started coaching chiropractors, I would have two clinics, very similar. They would be doing the same exact thing and one would rock it and one would fail. And I would always be like, why is that happening? And I know it sounds cliche, but it had to do with their vibe, their frequency, their mindset, and um, you know whether they had that growth mentality or not. And that was the main reason I started Elevate Club. All we do inside of Elevate Club is train unsuccess principles and mindset hacks to get out of the way and stop being so stuck so that we don't end up regretting the, the, the life that we did not live. So if you're interested and if you haven't joined Elevate Club yet, make sure to um, go over to www.elevate.me and that is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E dot me and uh, become a member today and uh, join us on there. Enjoy today's episode and listen in as we go deep today with Dr. Mo. Make sure to subscribe, share, like, all that stuff, and be sure to tune in to all the rest of the episodes. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Secret Lives of Chiropractors. I have um, one of my favorite chiropractors here with me today, Dr. Monique Andrews, best known as Dr. Mo. Dr. Mo knows. And uh, she's a chiropractor, she's a neuroscientist, and she's an international award-winning speaker um, who's been teaching about health. I've, I've seen her speak on multiple uh, stages, and uh, she's been studying over the past 20 plus years with world leader uh, 
leading experts uh, such as Sue Brown, Reggie Gold, Arno Bernier, and a bunch of other really cool people. She is the co-founder of Prana Foundations. She puts on retreats and, and masterminds and workshops together that uh, I would love to go to, and I encourage you to check it out. And um, she's just a a rare gift. And, and I would agree with that. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mo, for giving me your time today. Thanks, I know. Nona. I'm excited to actually have this conversation. I think it's uh, a really interesting idea. And uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah. So, you know, it, the idea came about because we see so many, there's this, the number one complaint about chiropractic seminars is like, it's so raw, raw. And I get it. I speak on the stages, but I do think that for speakers and leaders in our community, in our, in our profession, such as yourself, there's really not that space to get to know you personally. When you're on stage, you're teaching research. When you're on stage, you're teaching, teaching chiropractic or success principles or philosophy. Nobody really gets personal on stage. You can, but there's only so much room for that. So this is is hopefully that space for everybody to be able to get to know you a little bit better. So the very first question I have for you is um, like, who was Dr. Mo at like five or six and seven? What was your family dynamic? You've done so much in your life. I'm curious what kind of family dynamic you had and what things you went through that have set you up. So I am actually the youngest of five girls. So it was a busy household. Um, I was always in my family, I think, uh, the least like the others. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that they used to call me Unique Monique. And mm. because I was always messing around with something and not doing typical things that, you know, a five-year-old would and not the things that all my older sisters would be. So I'm from Newfoundland, which is a teeny tiny province outside, like it's the most eastern part actually of North America. So it's a small island off the North North Atlantic of Canada. And um, I grew up in a small community. My father was a papermaker and there were five of us all uh, under nine years of age. So it was it was pretty much like a circus. And uh, and I even at the youngest, I was a bit of a ringleader. Mm. So what, what would you say was like most unique about you relative to your siblings? I just was never conventional, you know, like the, not just in the way I behaved, but in the way that I thought, you know, I just never really, you know, I didn't play with dolls. I didn't sound a lot like the rest of my family in Newfoundland. Actually, the accent sounds like you're Irish. And uh-huh. even from a young age, I just resisted uh, what was typical, you know, I resisted conformity, I think. And so, you know, it made for quite an adventure. Um, but I had a great family upbringing. Mm -hmm. And, um, was there something that was really funny or interesting or entertaining about you that your family kind of talks about like a story about unique Mo or in your childhood? Is there a funny story that they would share about you? So my family was kind of like, their, our house was kind of like a hub in the neighborhood. And uh, they used to have these, uh, you ever see those Ouija boards, right? Yeah. So they used to have seances at night. And uh-huh. um, I was the youngest, so I would always have to go to bed. And one night they're in the middle of a seance, you know, they're trying to call in some spirit. 
And so it's very dark, just candles lit. And I came out from bed and I had like, somehow I had my hands like in my pants or something. And so it looked, I looked like it must've looked like a ghost and it scared the heck out of them. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's probably one of the interesting stories outside of that. It's probably not safe for sharing at work. Wait a second. What do you <laughs> That's exactly what we're here for to do. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one story. So again, small town, um, you know, we were kids, we would go out drinking in the woods. Uh, that's what you would do. And I had, I had the famous beer coat. So I had this big parka, you know, it's North Atlantic, it's freezing cold in the winter, we would go in the woods and build fires and drink a couple of beers, you know, but my coat could fit a dozen beer. So people would always cozy up to me so mm-hmm. that, you know, that begin my early days of um, ingestion. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that. All right. So you were a rebel. You were like, not only the black sheep, but like, let me just see how I can be different. Yeah. Yeah. I was out to experience the world and nothing was off limits. Um, yeah, that. That's cool. So yes. um, between childhood and now, Dr. Mo, have, when has it been a time in your life where you would say it's been the loneliest or most struggling time of your life? Yeah, you know, this. it's really interesting that you asked that question because in, in many realms, you know, um, I'm living a pretty successful life, you know? I get invited to speak all over the world. We hold these retreats and sell out our classes. And, you know, it's, I think what most people would be like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. And, you know, but the term that you use is not so much that it's a struggle, but lonely. And I would say the last three years have been a real struggle for not just me, but for everybody. Mm. But, you know, um, we moved back to Canada right before the beginning of the pandemic. We, you know, wasn't really our plan, but we had to, we had to start something new. That's when we started the Prana Foundation. Um, but we moved back to a part of Canada we had never lived in. And then a few months later, COVID happened. And I mean, literally, we were very, very isolated. And uh, yeah, I would say it's been an isolating time. You know, we're sort of hopefully coming out of that. But the level of, you know, we were quarantined for six weeks in Canada because we were still trying to come and go and do our events. And every time we leave and come back, we'd have to go into quarantine for two more weeks. We never really had an opportunity to meet people. So, you know, we spent about... Uh, less than about a year and a half in Victoria, BC in Canada. That was a very lonely time. Um, Fortunately, I have an incredible wife, Dr. Tamara McIntyre. You know, we have a solid relationship. So we survived. But Mm -hmm. and I would say even still, uh, it's been hard to reconnect with people like so much that is through Zoom, which is fine. We're, We're managing but there's nothing like human contact. It's why events like, you know, we both spoke at Mile High this year. The ability to commune with our peers is essential. It's not just desirable. I think it's essential. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, speaking of like connecting with other people, do you find that you are an extrovert or an introvert? No, I'm what's called an expressive introvert. And what that means is I do not derive energy from others However, I really enjoy um, expressing myself. 
you know, so good for me as a teacher. Uh, that's an essential piece. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know I can uh, I can be a hermit in my house for a long time uh, without interacting with others. I love it, but it's not required. Mm, OK, got it. So like one to, you like the one to many. I like either one to one or one. To or if it's one to many, it should be me on a stage and the many yeah. out there. But um, not one to a hand like a. Yeah. I mean, when we do our retreats, it's intense and incredible. And I'm really conscious about holding the space and making myself available. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say it's, I I don't like going to a party where I don't know a lot of people. I'd rather spend seven days with 10 of you Mm -hmm. than uh, seven hours with uh, 200 if it's just me in a room. Yeah. 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 Find that a lot of the people that I have been talking to, they have like a similar way of interacting or connecting with other people where they they thrive. They're either introverts or like you described, expressive introverts. Yeah. But I have yet to find any of these leaders I've talked to that are or that I've asked of um, an, an extrovert. Yet. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Not interesting. Yeah. There's yeah. actually been a, a, another thing that's been coming up, Dr. Mo is. The very first question I asked of you, the family dynamic, interestingly enough, wasn't my intention, but every single person, the first thing that they bring up is the what number child they are and how that has influenced them in who they are, which I see it. I have two boys. One is seven, one is three, and the three-year-old literally copies everything. The seven-year-old, seven-year-old yeah. doesn't have anybody to copy. So it, it definitely plays a role in It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, our family of origin, I mean, this is where we get our values. uh, We learn, you know, our skill set. It's also where we get our wounds. And um, I have a a good friend of me that once said, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a parent you are. uh, Your kids are not going to walk away without some wound. It's just it's the nature of being a human being. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Well, gives you character all the all the ways my mom didn't serve me are all the ways that are serving me now in my character yeah there's no mistakes I think yeah no so um speaking of wounds what would you say is the biggest wound you've picked up from your childhood (laughs) dynamic wow how deep are we gonna go Nona in secret lies of Kairos Uh, I don't know. You know, I grew up in a house where there were a lot of kids that needed a lot of attention. And probably, um, if I'm being really honest, I would say uh, there was a sense of uh, rejection when I was very young. I actually, when I was 18 months old, I was um, in a hospital. I had double pneumonia and I had an eye infection at the same time. Wow. And this is a horrific story, but I'll tell you. And, and what happened was the doctor said, well, uh, don't come visit because this was, you know, a long time ago now, uh, 50 years ago. And they said, don't come visit. This is the psychology of that day was don't come and see them because they'll be upset because they're attached. Now, I was 18 months old. But the other thing, and this is the biggest wound, and that is I was because they didn't want me to rub my eyes because I had an infection. They literally tied my arms to the bed. Um, for several days. Now, if you can imagine that happening to a child, um, you know, I'll just say that my therapist and I've spent a long time on that. And uh, so, yeah, that's the wound for me. It's interesting, you know, because today, 
it used to be people didn't talk about their wounds and they didn't want to hear about your struggle. And if you know, you talk to any millennial today and they want to talk about the shadow work and the inner child and suddenly it's wide open. And so, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable having a conversation about it. And I will also say it's something that I'm still working through. Mm, wow. That's, that's a lot. And I appreciate you sharing that because I know someone is going to listen in and, you know, we, we do the comparing on social media with what's great and what's grand, but sometimes it is nice to, even though we don't want to necessarily commiserate with people, but sometimes it's nice to know that Dr. Mo, the successful chiropractor is doing all of these things and life looks great and whatnot is also has had struggles and then has been able to overcome. Oh yeah. And it's like you said, you know, like our wounds make up our character and Mm -hmm. and it also, I think drives what we may become interested in. Like it's why I'm obsessed with the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory, because it's how we can help to heal our wounds from the bottom up. Um, (laughs) You know, that's not rant. It's not random. I love neuroscience, obviously, but I think I, I'm really deeply like trying to uncover how do we help people heal? Because it's not through talk therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I've really embraced embodied neuroscience. Mm, that's really cool. So it, and it sounds like you, you've obviously done a lot of work on yourself being in the field and being a neuroscientist and all the things, but what are your like top three or like, what are some routines maybe that you have either morning routine or in general that help you stay present? Yeah. Great question. Um, I have developed a daily practice and essentially it involves a minimum of three components, which are move your body, meditation and breath work. And so that's really what I call my personal embodied practice. And so that's the first thing that I do when I get up. And that is, I need to move. I need to get the energy flowing through my body. And that enables us then to be able to sit in meditation. Mm-hmm. And I have a practice I call nervous system balm. And I literally combine all of those things together so that I train my mind. You know, there's this, um, it's very difficult to resist to indulge your mind. And our mind is our greatest cause of suffering. And I think if people spent as much time trying to train the mind as they do their bodies to look good, mm-hmm. the world would be very different looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first thing that we need to do is train our mind because that controls the narrative of your whole life. Totally. Your perception, right? Like how you experience things, all of it. Yeah. And what you, you know, we have this consciousness, right? That's this narrative that's always running and it makes or breaks you. It it determines, is this a good day or a bad day? We literally ask ourselves questions and then people believe what they think. Mm -hmm. And really what you think is based on, uh, you know, central nervous system hallucination and past experience. It's you create your reality. Mm -hmm. So give yourself the best possible chance to do that. And that's why we train the mind. I love that. So you said combination of meditation, movement, and breath work. And you said you do this thing where you combine all of it. So I'm curious, would you share what that is? Is it like, I, I picture, this is what I picture. When you said that, I was like, I'm walking, I'm meditating, and I'm breathing at the same time. Could be walking. My meditation doesn't necessarily look the same all the time because depending on how you feel in the day, right? Yeah. But I do some form of stretching and myofascial release. Okay. And then I drop into my meditation, which it could be a walking meditation. Sometimes 
could be a silent meditation. If I'm having a rough day, I might do a guided meditation, but I combine that with polyvagal breathing and polyvagal exercises to drop deep into that heart space, you know, um, energy flows where attention goes. And again, just coming back to be able to like focus, to make the mind less, to have less ripples, you know? Um, yeah, it's a whole practice. I love that. And what does the, what does a typical day look like after that, after you get that done? It depends right now I'm in Costa Rica. So a typical day, you know, will look like I do my practice and then I might do work for an hour or I might spend an hour in the pool, which is how I've spent today uh, between my meditation practice and then just some time in the pool, really healthy, clean food, and and then maybe some work for a couple of hours. I am fortunate enough at this point in my life that I don't, it's not a nine to five thing. It's well, you, you know, you, you're a purveyor of the part-time lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. It's like that. And that, you know, might involve some mentorship calls. It could be uh, help, you know, creativity, creating a new class, um, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. And I saw you get to hang out with some cats. You've been hanging out with, (laughs) we've been like a rescue here for the last uh, six weeks. We've, we've, we've honed them all except uh, the mom at this point. So. (laughs) I know I saw that. I'm sure everybody's been uh checking out your instagrams and uh face i think you're mostly on facebook right i'm, I'm both i'm on instagram and facebook okay okay yeah. that's where i saw the cats um really cool and i'm curious what what would you say from everything that you've experienced from man like having your hands tied up because they didn't want you to rub your eyes being the fifth like all of that to to now, what would you say is like your secret sauce as you discover more about yourself that that's been able to propel you to where you are? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, somebody once asked me, like they said, you know, you're a really gifted teacher. Is that, do you think, was that learned or was it a gift? Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, um, it, it's a gift. Mm-hmm. I, I think my secret sauce is my ability to take really complex things and make them accessible to everybody. Um, you know, I think real people only feel safe. I'll say this a lot of times, sometimes when you go and you hear a speaker on stage, they are more interested in showing you how smart they are than you walking away with useful information that's tangible that you can put into practice, you know, on Monday or whatever. And, um, that's never my intent. And I get a lot of, you know, positive feedback and accolades, but I, I really believe I was put on this planet to teach others. Mm. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to do my best to make sure that I keep doing that for as long as I possibly can. That's beautiful. Did you, when you were a kid, did you know you were going to be a teacher? When I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon. I remember as early as like being four years old, I want to be a brain surgeon. That's what I thought then. (laughs) And uh, I haven't strayed too far off of that, actually, you know, from doing, yeah, neuroscience research. I was a bench scientist for several years, published in, you know, neuroscience journals, and then a chiropractor. And the information that I share today really, you know, is in that realm between Western neuroscience and and Eastern somatic practices. So maybe uh, less invasive than neurosurgery, but definitely neuromodulation, helping people with neuroregulation. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's like doing surgery, except uh, except with non-invasive. <laughs> yeah, the holistic way, like a chiropractor would. And, and in many ways, I think as chiropractors, because of the impact we have on the nervous system, like, yeah, it's like, uh, what, did, what did they used to be? It used to be that like esoteric term that was like, I forget what it's called now. There was some term they used to use for like surgery that wasn't physical. I don't remember. I think I'm yeah. kind of doing that. Yeah, you totally are. That's, yeah. that's great. Um, is there anything that looking back, I know that most of us kind of walk around. If somebody asked me, like, do you have any regrets? I would say, no, I don't have any regrets. It's like learned stuff along the way and whatever, but is there something that you would do differently looking back at your life? Is there a part of your life where you're like, now knowing what I know now, I would have done certain more of something, less of something or something differently? Uh, you know, I don't really reflect on my life, like in terms of regrets. And, and I've, I read somewhere that's like the things that we regret the most are not the things that we've done, but the things that we haven't done. Hmm. Um, I will say that I'm really stalling on, on writing a book. And hmm. so I wish I had done that already. Hmm. Um, but everybody's writing books now. So it seems like it's less enticing to me, but it, it's coming. It will come. I have three in mind that I'm like, okay, oh, that's I got, awesome. I've got fodder for, for creativity. Yeah. I feel like if you know, you have a book inside of you, in your case, three books inside of you, it will come out. And I know I had a book inside of me for the longest time. And then, and then finally I was like, I got to I would, I put it on the calendar, time blocked. Uh, I'm not giving you advice on what to do. You obviously know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that, that was my journey. I was like, every Tuesday, Thursday, I'm going to sit down for a couple hours. And this book that was inside of me for years, for many years came out in like two months. Wow. That's awesome. There's a great book by uh, Natalie Goldberg called writing down the bones for the budding uh, writers that are on the watching today. Uh, yeah, it's called Writing Down the Bones, and it's about starting a writing practice. And her instruction is brilliant. She has courses and stuff online, too. It's a great book. I love that. Perfect. Yeah. Great resource. Okay, really cool. And last question, last like kind of big question is if yeah. uh, you were to go back to your younger self, specifically as a chiropractor or in general as a new chiropractor or, again, in general in your journey as, a, as an adult, what advice would you give yourself? It's interesting, you know, because I have this, uh, I have this question that I ask people, you have to be over 40 to answer it though. I have this question that I ask people, which is what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life. And for me, the answer to that question is to not take anything anybody else thinks says or does personally. Mm. And I wish I had gained that insight earlier. Um, I would probably go back and say, Hey, this is going to be hard to understand right now. Uh, but learn that. Uh, everybody's navigating their life the best that they can and choices that they make is, you know, it's through their own lived experience through their lens. And um, it has nothing to do with you. Sometimes that's a a curse as well as a blessing to understand that. But um, yeah, I think I would go back and say, it's all going to be okay. And oh, by the way, don't take anything personally. Mm -hmm. It's not about you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Really cool. Thank you. And I'm going to ask you some like rapid fire questions. Sure. Um, let's see. Do you have a childhood nickname? And if, aside from the one you gave me, Unique Mo, 
Monkey. Monkey. Okay, cool. And um, what kind of student were you when you were in school, either high school or college? Were you an A student, F student? Um, I was an A student without trying very hard in, in high school. And then I went to university and it all fell apart because I just, I was a great memorizer, but not a great student, I learned. Mm. Um, and it took me a while to figure out my undergraduate degree actually took me six years because I essentially just flunked my way through my first two. And then once it caught on, it caught on. I published my undergraduate thesis. I got straight A's right through my degree in psychology. I have a combined degree in psychology and theology. And so once I got, I realized that I had been skating along my whole life, just memorizing things. Mm-hmm. You know, those don't make the best doctors. The A student doesn't necessarily make the best doctor because, you know, if it's based on memory, then you're not good at synthesizing and collating information. My wife is, a, is I think, probably the smartest person on the planet and her ability to critically think is unparalleled. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't me in high school. And I quickly figured that out when I got into university and things weren't going well. Mm, okay. So A student and then, yeah, failed a little bit and then moved beyond that. And uh, Mo, what was your first job? My first job, Mm -hmm. uh, I worked at a tree nursery. So in the town that I grew up in was there was a pulp and paper mill that my father was a paper maker. And so, you know, you have to supply the trees for that. So I helped grow trees. Mm -hmm. I'm still obsessed with trees today. Mm, Okay, really cool. And um, last question on this list, um, who would you say has been the biggest influence in your life, either chiropractic inside or outside of chiropractic? Wow, what a great question. Um, Pema Chodron, who is a Buddhist nun, Mm -hmm. um, I will say has really shaped my thinking for the last 20 years and has made me into a more compassionate human being. It's really you know, in my times of deepest struggle, it's where I go. Mm, Yeah. yeah, If nobody, if you haven't read Pama Chodron, dig in. It's good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Um, All right. Really cool. Thank you again for giving me your time. Would you tell everybody what's exciting, what's coming up for you? What are some things you're working on and then where, where and how should they connect with you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we are always dropping new classes at the Prana Foundation. We have a retreat coming up in November and then again in June. And for me, that's really fun and exciting to see people's lives transform. Um, So being able to mentor in that way. I mean, it's fun to teach classes and I love teaching, of course, that's my bread and butter. But there's something really special about those retreat weeks with, you know, um, 10 or 20 women where you just people's lives are changed. And that fills me up. I think for me, I think my, my purpose in life is to ease the path for others. And and that's what I I have. I'm at a point in my life where I get to do that. And that's the most exciting thing in the world for me. Mm. If people want to find us, go to pranafound.org. They can also follow me on Instagram, Dr. Monique Andrews or Facebook, Monique Andrews, Dr. Monique Andrews. I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. So cool. Thank you. And I um, appreciate, I know you're busy. (laughs) Not only are you busy, but also you're on vacation and you took the Zoom call. So I'm super appreciative of of you giving me this time and um, we'll put the links in the show notes for anybody who's interested. 
Uh, make sure you connect with Dr. Mo. As you can see, she's super accessible and uh, just wants to support and help you if you connect with her. Hmm. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're doing great work, Nona. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you everybody for watching or listening to this episode of Secret Lives of Chiropractors. And uh, we'll see you or you'll be checking out the next episode and talk to you then. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some applicable nuggets to quantum leap your life and your practice. Be sure to subscribe to this channel and be the first to know when we release our next guest here on Secret Lives of Chiropractors. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Nona Javid, D-J-A-V-I-D, to keep up with my not-so-secret life. And um, check out Elevate Club at www.elevate.me, and Elevate is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E. We'll see you at the next episode.